Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Offense is coming around. We'll tell you all about it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, June 14th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers today on the show. Another big injury, this time at second base. We will take a look at offense hitters who are heating up. Team Name Tuesday and much more, but let's jump right in. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh my goodness gracious. Player of the day, and we will start with Chris. Well, first an OMGG tip of the cap to Sandy Alcantara, who had another awesome start and... Whatever the opposite of a tip of the cap to the Marlins offense for blowing another amazing Sandy Alcantara start. But my, oh my goodness gracious player of the day is actually you Darvish, who had eight one-run innings, seven strikeouts yeah, against the Cubs. Not the toughest lineup in the world, although, you know, they're they're feisty. They got some, some guys. And uh, yeah, Darvish is weird because he he's been... Fine for the most part. It's been up and down, but he's giving you a ton of volume is the one thing you're especially getting from him. Every start dating back to the start of May, with the exception of one, he's gone at least six and two-thirds innings. The one start where he didn't, he went five and two-thirds innings. Now, he's had one start with five earned runs allowed, one start with five earned runs allowed, so two starts with five earned runs allowed. But for the most part this season, he's been quite good. I know there have been some concerns, but it's really... Three bad starts, two genuinely awful starts, or one genuinely awful start where he allowed nine earned runs, and then two where he allowed five in five-plus innings. He's not the U Darvish of old, although given the ups and downs of U Darvish's career, I don't know what the U Darvish of old actually means because it feels like there's like a different U Darvish every half season of his career. But um, yeah, I feel pretty good about him right now. Yeah, I think this season is a microcosm of Yu Darvish's career. Trying to figure this guy out on a year-to-year basis and now on a start-to-start basis, I'll admit it's it's been pretty confusing for me to try and do that. Uh, he allowed nine earned runs in a start earlier this season and a few other blow-ups. If you just eliminate that start, he has a 2.34 ERA in his other 11 starts, but the strikeouts are down, the swinging Way strike down. rate is down. Way down. Um, this start wasn't the case. He had 17 swinging strikes over eight innings and pitched against well, the Cubs. Well, I, I, I don't know what adds to the weirdness is that the swinging strike rate, it's lower than usual for him, but it's still pretty good. It's still a pretty good swinging strike rate. Mm-hmm. What's weird is 7.3 Ks per nine. He's never been less than 10 yeah. K per nine in his career. And in the year of our Lord 2022, <laughs> I don't have much faith in anybody whose K per nine is only 7.3, you know? So does does Darvish get extra credit just because he's Darvish, because he has that decent swinging strike rate? Uh, yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm somebody offered me in, in one of the podcast leagues, Joe Ryan and change for, for you, Darvish. And I, at the time, I think I actually had Joe Ryan ahead of you, Darvish, in my rest of season rankings, but I still couldn't bring myself to do it. Because, like, I guess it's more likely that the strikeouts pick up than that. I guess I think it's more likely that the strike, given his track record, that the strikeouts, it's more likely the strikeouts pick up for Darvish than that the rest of the numbers, you know, go to where his strikeout rate says they should be. A, a four, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a high a high ERA. 
I guess that's I guess that's how I feel about it. But it, yeah, it's been really hard to figure out. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me a little of Walker Bueller, um, in that the biggest culprit is just that the fastball has been a much less effective pitch for you, Darvish. You, Darvish is one of those uh, guys who really relies on his four seam fastball to get a ton of whiffs uh, whiff rate over the last three seasons entering this one 28.4 42.3 that was in that ridiculous 2020 season and then 34.5 percent last season entering tonight it was 16.8 percent that is a massive collapse his whiff rate is more than half or less than half of what it was last season but today he did have seven uh, on 16 swings 44 percent whiff rate that's more what you're looking for from you, Darvish, and I think that's going to be the key moving forward. And he is someone who has seen a significant dip in his spin rate over the past couple of seasons, especially you know from the second half of last season on, basically. And whatever the sticky substance ban, whatever that, whatever happened there, it has made it seems to have made his fastball less effective, which is similar to what we had seen with Walker Bueller, obviously. The flexor strain, you know, may have played a part in that as well. But I just I have faith in you, Darvish's track record enough to buy. I don't know if low, but just buy him being an above average starting pitcher moving forward. Not an ace, but you know, still a top thirty six guy. All right, uh, Chris, if you have him on your team, do you look to capitalize, sell high, or just hold? Um, I would hold. I would. I would have to be. You know. I would have to get a pretty awesome offer. Like I said, I still view him as a top 36 at least starting pitcher. All right, fair enough. Scott, oh my goodness gracious, from Monday. Well, I'm going to go with the guy who made his 2022 debut, Lance Lynn. It was, oh my goodness gracious, in a bad way because I was excited to start Lance Lynn, stashed him all this time. It, we found out yesterday it was going to be a two-start week, the first start against the worst offense in baseball, the Tigers. First pitch he throws, home run. <laughs> Very first pitch. He ends up giving up. Uh, so he ends up giving up a total of seven hits in the first two innings, 10 hits overall over four and a third. Not a, not a pretty stat line. Not a pretty stat line, especially those first two innings. He got knocked around a bit. The velocity on his fastball was down 1.4 miles per hour from last year, uh, which also isn't something we want to see. The whiff rate was okay. I don't know. I, uh, I chalk it up, I think, mostly to rust to him, you know, getting back in the swing of things when everybody else is in midseason form. He did have a multi-start rehab assignment. But I think it stands to reason he's not going to be Maybe his best out of the gate. Uh, worth reminding everybody, he's coming back from a torn meniscus, so not an arm issue. He is old. He's 35. So, you know, there, there's a chance that he's just regressing, you know, irrespective of this injury. But I, I think, you know, one four and third inning start is, is, is not, uh, that's not the assumption I'm going to make. So, you know, disappointing, but... Sit tight with Lance Lynn because yeah, I suspect things are going to get better. He gave up some loud contact, but it actually wasn't that bad in that regard. 86.7 mile per hour. Average exit velocity on the batted balls he allowed. Seven hard hit balls on, I think, 19 uh, balls in play, which is a 38% rate, which isn't good, but it's not like shield your eyes bad. So I think there was probably some BABIP luck uh at play here so I, I i'm willing to give guys a mulligan in the first start back from the il generally generally uh, i think that is all fair i mean worth pointing out his first three rehab starts were not great either he had a nine era something you guys mentioned uh last week but overall i think i'm still inclined to buy if someone in, in your league is overreacting to this first start Though, I'll point out, like, older... It wouldn't surprise me if he just has some steep decline, like, out of nowhere, uh, Lance Lynn, but... I, I mean, it's it's possible. It just, it's just a little too coincidental, I think, to yeah. assume yeah. that. And it's and I, start. I, somebody shared the stat on Twitter. It surprised me. He's 
only had one year in his career with an ERA over four, which is what's surprising about that is we think he had this kind of like late career breakout mm-hmm. with the Rangers. And he did in, in terms of him becoming a strikeout pitcher, but he was a reliable pitch to contact type for the Cardinals for several years before that. So yep. he's, yeah. he's been, he's been a bankable fat fantasy asset for a long time. I could see him being a player who doesn't age particularly well because he's not like a huge swing and miss guy. He doesn't have this overwhelming arsenal of swing and miss pitches. He kind of just throws variants of a fastball over and over. But I like like Johnny Cueto is a guy who had a fairly limited velocity band in which he threw, and his decline was fairly steep. But I don't know if that's necessarily... That's just kind of me guessing on how a player like him would age. I don't know if that's actually the way the aging curves work on that type of player. So just throwing that out there. All right. Would you guys rather have Lance Lynn or you, Darvish, rest of the season? I would rather have Darvish. Scott? I think I'd rather have Lynn. Ooh, it's close. I'll be the tiebreaker. I've got Lance Lynn five spots ahead. Uh... I'm not saying it with much confidence, but I'll, I'll take Lance Lynn, I guess. Uh, oh, my goodness gracious for me, Lane Thomas. Let's get a hitter in here. He went two for four with his seventh home run. Scotty keeps crushing it with the sleeper hitters. And in the month of June, as I will point out with a bunch of hitters later on, Lane Thomas is crushing it. 395 batting average, four homers. Three of those came in one game. Uh, he also has three doubles, an OPS over 1,200. Small sample size, like 10 or 11 games. He's only 23% rostered. What is he uh, doing differently so far this month? He's striking out less. He's hitting the ball hard. 52% hard contact rate for the month so far. Uh, And I have a feeling it's only going to go up after this game on Monday. Widely available. 23% rostered. Some people picked him up for this week, but not enough. uh, Which means we need to find some players to drop for Lane Thomas. And... I mean, they're still got like. Do we though? Cole Calhoun was a fun player, and you know, I you know, yeah, I I'd picked be him fine up. Dropping Cole Cal- Calhoun for him, sure. Yeah. Well, Scott, I mean, do you not want to add Lane Thomas? Is that what you're? Alluding well, look, to? he was one of my sleeper hitters for this week, as you mentioned. I think he's fine as a hot hand play. What's he good at? Like, what does he excel at? He's not going to be a big power hitter. He's fast enough to be a big base stealer. He has one stolen base this year. That's what you're hoping for, I think, is that he's like a 15-15 guy. It's not an overwhelming What reason do you believe? Like, he's hot now, yes. And and that's fine. But, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to have, he's not going to hit well over 300 for the rest of the season. He's probably going to hit well under 300 for the rest of the season. So what are we, what are we picking him up for? I'm not saying you can't do it for Cole Calhoun. I mean, that's. For any f- really fringy, low upside guy like that, I think it's fine. But, you know, for the majority of the audience playing in their 12-team or 10-team three outfielder leagues, I, yeah, I just... Yeah, and he's not relevant in those formats. He's like right. a top 75 outfielder, maybe. I think that he can be... Yeah, he's probably not going to be someone that excels anywhere. But, I mean, a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, it's still and a pretty useful at the top profile. of the lineup for what it's worth. It's not a good lineup, but... Yeah. You know, he's going to get opportunities. Like, he could volume his way to a 15-15-85 run season. I think he has a little bit more pop than that. I mean, it's not it's nothing crazy, but can he get to 20 homers with 8 to 10 steals and a you know solid batting average and OBP leading off for the Nationals? Yeah, I think that's doable, uh-huh. and that's part of why I liked him coming into the season, but it was a very You're, you're asking him to, st- to hit 11 home runs and steal 9 bases for the rest of the way. And I think that's, it's possible. He's not far. He's not far off that pace power wise. He's got seven homers here in mid June. So yeah, the speed is where he's been really disappointed. Sorry. I thought he's only got one run. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Cole Calhoun is one name that I wanted to bring up. I think he's perfectly fine to drop for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Hunter Dozier, 43% rostered. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Marsh is 45%. I mean, I, I guess that's That's close, but we could do that. Um, Mark Hanna has actually sneakily been okay. Anyone else? Who else pops out here? Yeah. All right. Well, those are the names. <laughs> those are the like, names that I have for you. I don't know what Avisel Garcia's roster rate is, but I, I think Avisel Garcia is fine to drop for him. Yeah. Um, he's 41%, so he's right around there, too. TJ so. Hernandez would probably be another one. I don't know what his roster rate is, but again, 
even like Andrew Benintendi's been okay this season, as in he has a high batting average, but he's literally doing nothing else. So, sure. like, I'd be fine dropping him. Enrique Hernandez is 45% rostered. Yeah, and that, like those, you, we're not talking about most leagues right. where he's relevant, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just want to clarify. Steals. Because a lot of times when we talk about guy hitters emerging on the waiver wire, like Luis Garcia in recent days, or even like Bryson Stott, uh, we don't know what the upside is. So I, I think it's reasonable yeah. to take a flyer on them in any format, basically. I, I, I think Lane Thomas is, uh, I think there are some pretty clear limits to his upside. All right, well, let's once again talk about Luis Garcia and Bryson Stott because you might need a second base replacement. Ozzie Albies suffered a fractured foot after fouling a ball off of it, and I've seen uh, some Twitter doctors say that this could be at least eight weeks for Ozzie Albies. I haven't seen an official timeline anywhere, but uh, that's some early speculation on what it could look like for Ozzie Albies. Some names I thought of quickly, just if you're looking to trade uh, for a second baseman in your league, Jonathan India just activated on Monday. Of course, whoever has him has been waiting quite a while, so I don't know if they want to give up Jonathan India. Uh, I like what I've seen from Brendan Rodgers and Glaber Torres. I think those are some fine options. Mm-hmm. Javier Baez, like, I don't know that his value will ever be lower than it is right now. So <laughs> if you want to take a shot on that, not sure how I much confidence makes, I have I in him. I think that but, makes perfect sense. Like, I, I, I think it makes sense to be skeptical of Javier Baez ever turning it around this season, but, like, the only chance... like. One of the few chances you're going to have to replace Ozzy Albee's kind of production would be if Javier Baez figured it out. Like I mentioned last week when we talked about him, what he's done so far this season is not dissimilar from what he did in the shortened 2020 season, and he bounced back in 2021 and had a very good season. So yeah. We're right there, too. We're right at basically yeah, right the around point 60 games, 2020 season ended. Which is just a reminder of how weird that season was. Um, and, and, you know, because a lot of people didn't want to take anything from the 2020 season. So that's the kind of sample we're talking about that we've seen so far. Uh, Yeah, I I, I agree. Javier Baez, if if you can get him for dirt cheap, like that's even if whether you lost all these or not, I think that's not a bad idea. And like, Uh, I think Jorge Polanco is probably a pretty good buy low candidate. I know he's heating up lately, but still the overall numbers are pretty bad. It's a good time to have lost a middle infielder because of all the young guys emerging at the there lately. Uh, you mentioned Stott and Garcia. I like the upside of both quite a bit. Doesn't mean doesn't mean they're they're gonna they're gonna get the job done. But I you know you while they're while they're popping, you take the shot on them and see mm-hmm. where it goes. Christopher Morel, I would also put in that category for the Cubs. He could give you some speed. Really, possibly even more speed than Albies was going to give you, to you be know, honest. If you're in a Roto League, and this might be a deeper one, John Birdie's stealing a lot of bases right now. He's playing every day for the Marlins. So, if you specifically need speed, consider him. Yeah, I think that's a good one. He's 16% rostered, and I think I saw that he has... like. Eight steals already? He might even have more than that. Nope. He's 12. up to 11. 11. Jeez. Wow. 12, 12, 12, 12 after today. today. Yeah, he got another yeah. one today. Yeah. Wow. And and actually, 11 of the 12 have come since May 27th. Yeah, he's been Jeez. running wild lately. You know who I like as well? I might be alone in this one. But Nico Horner. I like what Nico Horner has done this season. The counting stats aren't great because he missed some time with injury, but... Three homers, six steals. He's hitting the ball well enough. His expected batting average is 95th percentile. He's not striking out at all. I think Nico Horner is is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky useful moving forward. I've got him in some of my 15-team leagues. Yeah, 27% rostered is Nico Horner. Also Ezekiel Duran. We didn't mention yep. him because he's, he's playing base third guy. base, but he retains second base eligibility from last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went two for four with a double on Monday and stole his first um, base, first career stolen base for him, 24% rostered. Santiago Espinal, another name out there, um, could be available in some shallower leagues. He's 63% rostered. Uh, I guess who is just your favorite of all the names we've mentioned? Scott, second base? Other than Baez? Because that's... Yeah. 
someone if you're looking to add morel but he's the least available so of the others who are all widely available uh i think actually i think actually stott but it's it's really close between him garcia and duran all right and chris it's garcia for you right luis garcia yeah probably although i'm struggling with santiago espinal um he's not nearly as widely available as those guys but he is you know fairly widely available and the underlying numbers are quite solid so you know worth a look at least and that Blue Jays lineup is heating up. So I would yes. take Espinal in a points league. I'll take uh, Duran in a roto league, but I'll admit there's a lot of interesting names. So we all have right a now. different favorite. Yeah. Well done. Go with whoever you like most here on the podcast. Email of the day. This one's from Brian in Atlanta. Okay, I know ranking players is hard, and outfield is a blob from 20 through 50, but Adolis Garcia is now the number three, uh, 33 player in Roto and the number nine outfielder. I just want to know if y'all think he is due for major regression or if this is somewhat real. Would Scott really rather have Alex Verdugo, Connor Joe, and Mike Yastrzemski more than Adolis Garcia? And since this email was sent, all Garcia has done is moved up. He is the seventh ranked outfielder in Roto League's 25th overall player uh, where he had... Entering Monday, 243 batting average, 12 homers, 9 steals, 33 runs, 40 RBI. Those counting stats are massive for his value right now. The batting average is probably not going to be great, but the counting stats are amazing. Not as good in points leagues, uh, though might surprise you. 3.1 fantasy points per game is better than Giancarlo Stanton, Julio Rodriguez, and Cedric Mullins. All right, enough of me talking. Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, what do you think about Adolis Garcia? How much of this is sustainable for him? Would you really rather have Verdugo or Connor Joe over Garcia? Well, let me try to open my rankings here. Because in points leagues, yes. And, and points leagues is the default view when you go to the rankings page. So maybe he, maybe he's just looking at my points leagues rankings. I don't know. Uh, Adolis Garcia is terrible in terms of plate discipline. And... You know, I think there are a couple of factors uh, that are driving his high place in, in the in the in terms of actual performance so far. How high he ranks. One of them is just how bad outfield's been in general, and I think over the course of the season, with offense improving, you know, a lot of that's happening in the outfield. I don't see much room for improvement for Garcia specifically, but I think a lot of the things around him improve. And that'll push him down some just by virtue of that. Secondly, I think the counting stats are too high to believe. Pretty much across the board, but especially runs scored. He's on pace for like 100 runs scored in a so-so lineup with a 290 on base percentage. Like, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So I, I think there is some regression. I don't think it's going to be steep regression. But some regression in, in those counting stats specifically runs, and I, I think even RBI because that's like 120 RBI pace. Scott, back up a little bit while you're talking because I think the mic is not catching you clearly, and you're kind of cutting out a little bit. Okay. So uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's a it's a very low floor with how bad his plate discipline is, and and fortunately it hasn't. Like he's, he's gotten the best he, he's we've gotten his best case scenario so far. And maybe that will continue to an extent. I don't think it can possibly continue to this extent, but maybe it will continue to extent or, or maybe it'll go like last season where he fell off a cliff in the second half. I, I think that's a, that's a definite possibility for Garcia again. Chris, something we talked about recently when we were talking about our rankings process is you don't, get credit for things that have already happened. You have to mm -hmm. kind of project forward and try and figure out what a player is going to do. Now, Martin Perez is obviously the famous example of, you know, trying to figure out what he will do moving forward. And I have more confidence in Adolis Garcia as a hitter than I do Martin Perez as a pitcher. But there is no denying that uh, last year, while the overall numbers for Adolis Garcia were very good, he was wildly inconsistent he had a 981 ops in may he was sub 800 every other month and he had two other months where he was sub 700 so i while he's hot now 
I, I think we need to see more to know that he can have sustained success and, and consistent success. So that's kind of part of my worry with ranking Adolis Garcia moving forward. Well, I think another way to put that would be you want to see another cold streak from Garcia. You know, that, that might be a weird thing to say, but the season is all about ebbs and flows. You know, that that's that's how it is for every player. Some players are more consistent, some players are less consistent, but right now we're seeing Adolis Garcia at the peak of an ebb, I think would be the way to phrase that. He's got a 945 OPS in the month of June. He's got four home runs and 49 plate appearances entering today. Uh, he already has two months, however, this season with a 676 OPS in April and a 726 OPS in May. I think, you know, 726 sort of splits the difference between the two, and that's probably more representative of his true talent level, something like a 250 hitter with a, a low to mid 700s OPS is where I would peg him. But four homers, two steals in that month. He's got at least four homers and two steals in every month so far. That's where I think it comes down to just what his skill set is, which is he hits home runs and steals bases. The, the extent to which he will do either of those, I don't know if he's going to be a 30 homer guy again, um, but... Is there that much difference between him and Randy or Rosarena in terms question. of their skill sets? It's a good question. Well, I, I think Garcia may actually have more power, but you're, you're talking to maybe the biggest sure, group we, of Rosarena haters. <laughs> but we all still have Randy or Rosarena as top 30 outfielder, right? Yeah. Um, in Roto? Yeah, I, have, I, have I mean, obviously he's more proven than Garcia. I, yeah. I would say it's probably the, the biggest difference, but... I have but a no, I, I think maybe uh, in terms of a Rosa Reina's most likely scenario and Garcia's best case scenario are probably pretty similar. Garcia maybe with more power, or Rosa Reina with maybe more batting average. Yeah, I, I, I have I've moved Garcia up to 32 at outfielder. That's as much a representation of how bad I think outfielder is right now and just how bad I feel about that range of outfielders. Um, and a Rosarena is 28 for me, so they're pretty close. I think a Rosarena is better, but they're similar skill sets. Um, you know, perhaps Adolis Garcia is a more volatile version of that skill set, but, you know, I, I think it's a, a valuable one nonetheless. Mm -hmm. I think there's a legit argument to rank Adolis Garcia as a top 30, top 35 outfielder in Roto rest of season. A little yeah, bit lower. Points, it's hard. Yeah, a little bit lower. Yeah. I mean, the, the play discipline is just so bad in points leagues, as Scott mentioned. So, I mean, just uh, yeah, keep that in I, mind. And I'm, I, I pulled up my Roto rankings finally, and I do have him behind those three outfielders in Roto, too. Yastrzemski, Joe, and who was the other? It Verdugo. Was Verdugo. Verdugo. Yeah, no. So, I, I mean, I do need to move Garcia up some. But I maintain that in points leagues, in points leagues, I would rather have each of those three who happen to be points league specialists and and you know garcia is going to be an anti-points league specialist mm -hmm. all right well thank you brian you i think you convinced some of us to to move uh, adolis garcia up the rankings and uh, rightfully so as long as he's playing this well before we hit the break i want to remind everyone to sign up for our newsletter if you haven't already cbsports.com slash newsletters is the website to visit, and then you click on the little Fantasy Baseball Today logo there, you punch in your email, and then that's it. You sign up, it's free, nothing to worry about there, and uh, Dan Schneier, our buddy, he does a great job, sends it out every morning. It's a lot of notes that we put together on the rundown here, so uh, I would encourage everyone to sign up if you haven't already, and if you're getting ready for the football season, you can sign up for the FFT newsletter as well, which Chris does. So support our guy, Chris, and support Dan Schneier as well. Let's take a break. And when we return, we will talk about the news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. 
The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The news and notes. Juan Soto was pulled in the ninth inning as a precaution after bumping his knee on the bench. Well, I hope I he's I do this all, right. all the time. So I, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I have a big bruise on my knee from doing that on the coffee table the other day. So I'm, I'm, I feel you, Juan. All right. Well, if Chris Towers could live through it, I, I think Soto should be fine. I played today, so I played softball today, so I'm fine. All right. I mean, slowly, the, uh, the Nationals are kind of crumbling, which we'll get to as we, <laughs> we go down this list. Liam Hendricks played catch pregame Monday as he works through arm stiffness. It sounds like uh, he was not available on Monday either. I think I saw that Kendall Graveman was pitching the... Ninth inning of that game where they had a four-run yep. lead. Yes, he closed it out. So uh, no Liam Hendricks. Hope he's all right. I mean, arm stiffness. Feels like that could go a few different ways. Jonathan India was activated on Monday, though he was not in the Reds lineup. Sounds like he'll be good to go here on Tuesday. Wander Franco began agility work on Monday. He's on the IL with a quad injury. And, I mean, if he's just starting stuff up now, probably still a couple of weeks away for Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. Matt Chapman took part in batting practice Monday and is expected to return to the lineup on Tuesday. Josiah Gray was scratched from his start Monday due to an extended rain delay. The team started Erasmo Ramirez instead, and it didn't work very well. I'm sorry, Nationals. Michael Kopech is feeling a lot better after getting fluid drained from behind his knee. He was cleared of structural damage, though was still uh, though we still don't know if he will make a start this weekend. It would come against the Astros anyway, so I would say avoid. Jorge Polanco was out of the lineup Monday as he manages back soreness. Jake Berger crushing it. What happens? Hitting the hand with a pitch on Monday, and he got removed from the game. Hopefully. He's all right. Uh, Joe Ryan will return and start on Tuesday against the Mariners. Yasmani Grandal placed on the IL with lower back spasms. He was dealing with a hamstring injury over the weekend, and then somehow that developed into back spasms. uh, Hopefully some time off can help get him back on track. Jesus Lozardo threw a long toss off flat ground on Monday. That was his first time throwing a ball since landing on the IL on May 15th, so about a month of doing nothing for Lozardo. Yeah, I would say this problem. I, w- I would be surprised if we saw him before the all-star break. Yeah, I, yeah, that timeline makes sense. About a, a month and a week or so. Yeah, and the results were sporadic. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind taking their time and being cautious with him. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's still a young pitcher with a bunch of upside. So take your time there, and hopefully he comes back strong. Steven Strasburg was placed back on the IL after experiencing discomfort following a bullpen session. Uh, they didn't really specify. Obviously, he's coming back from a major injury, but it sounds like it's related to that. And I don't know where this goes, but it does not look good for Steven Strasburg, unfortunately. Yeah. Josh Donaldson's suspension appeal was denied, and he will serve the one-game ban on Tuesday against the Rays. Avisael Garcia's MRI on his left hand did not reveal any structural damage. He was scratched Sunday due to mild inflammation. Jacob Junis is expected to be sidelined four to six weeks due to a grade two left hamstring strain. And Leody Tavares was recalled by the Rangers and he was batting at 294 with seven homers, seven steals in 49 AAA games this year. Uh, Scott, do you have any interest in Leody Tavares in deeper category leagues, those five outfielder leagues? Oh, we've seen him steal bases in bunches in the majors before and really not do anything else. Uh, let's see. I mean, the way he was hitting in the minors is better than he's hit in the minors before. 
So maybe he figured something out. Uh, Leody Tavares in his season debut went one for three with a walk and a run scored uh, batting ninth for the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, look, he's played 136 games at AAA in his career. He's still only 23. He has 24 homers and 20 steals. Like, I don't think he's going to do that, but I don't know if he can keep the strikeouts somewhat manageable, if he can keep them in the 25 to 27% range. Uh, there, there could be something there. Hey, there were some really smart people excited about him a couple of years ago, so uh, we'll, we'll see. The name there is Leody Tavares. Some prospect news. Orioles prospect Kyle Stowers made his debut on Monday. He was batting eighth in the lineup, and he replaced Anthony Santer, who was placed on the restricted list on Monday because they went to Toronto unvaccinated. Uh, it sounds like it could be a short stay for Kyle Stowers. Pirates outfield prospect Cannon Smith-Najigba was promoted, but not in the lineup on Monday. He was batting 277 with one homer and eight steals in 52 games at AAA this season. Not sure if there's anything there outside of speed, but just a name to monitor for now. This one was kind of big, and uh, we'll see in the next coming days. But according to Alex Stumpf of DK Pittsburgh Sports, O'Neill Cruz is two or three days away from being unable to accrue the necessary service time to reach Super 2 status. So what that means is service time manipulation, basically. This is all speculation, by the way. Um, but <laughs> in eight June games, um, O'Neill Cruz is playing much better. 333 batting he, average, two homers, one steal. OPS over awesome 1,000. for a while. Yeah. He was bad to start the season, but he's got 1,037 OPS uh, over the last 28 days, he basically since the start of May, he's made a lot of errors, which people will bring up. But I don't know. I he should be up. This is dumb. It's not. Well, I, I mean, his overall batting average at AAA is 236. I, I, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little irked at the. I feel like it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, this is obviously service time manipulation. He only hit 176 in April. Yeah, he's been still, really good since then. He's been he's been as good as he should have been all along for a month. Right, that's that's fine. I I don't think it's a hundred percent clear that he's clear that he's mastered AAA. Uh, so that's a B. I don't think Alex Stumpf of DK Pittsburgh Sports could possibly know when when the Super Two cutoff's going to be. We don't know that for years after the fact that he can nail it down to the precise day. I I find laughable. Frankly, I think it's like two or three days from when the the assumption is, which yeah, it's just not call the same up. thing. Just call O'Neill Cruz up. Just do it. All right. Well, if he comes up in the next couple of days, I I think it might have something to do with the Super Two. But if we don't know that date for a while, then whatever. Uh, he's fifty seven percent rostered, so he could be out there in some category leagues. John Heyman reports that the Mets could promote catcher prospect Francisco Alvarez to the majors this season. At some point, uh, Alvarez is batting 275 with 13 home runs at double A. Would be quite the jump, but we've seen a few other prospects get that call this season. So uh, we shall see. Um, and there's been really no shortage of, of young, exciting catcher prospects getting called up. So uh, that would just add another one. Let's take a look at league offense in June. Uh, wanted, you know, to get a couple of weeks in here and then take a look at what's going on. Uh, but overall, in the month of June, 249 batting average, 21.7% K rate, uh, 731 OPS, 12.7% home run to fly ball ratio. The batting average, the OPS, the home run to fly ball ratio are all the highest they've been of any month thus far. Uh, and in fact, the 731 OPS is higher than the league OPS was last season. So... I think this is a good sign that offense is uh, coming around. The home run to fly ball ratio uh, is still below last year, and it's way below 2019. And I think that's the expectation. Like we're not going to yeah. come anywhere close to 2019 is the high levels. watermark for sure. And worth reiterating, every June is higher than the May yeah. and April that preceded it. But I do yeah. think the extent of the improvement is more significant this year than usual. Yeah, and, and I think this might kind of sum it up i wrote about this on thursday last week uh in games played in 50 degree or below weather so far this season the league-wide ops was 654 in games played between 51 and 70 degrees it was 686 in games played 71 degrees and above it was 724 
And that's a fairly wide range of temperatures for 71 and above as well. And I think I'm starting to think that assuming we keep the current ball, which assuming we keep the current ball and the humidors, and I think we would, then what we might just have to deal with is just more extreme Mm -hmm. uh, variation in offensive environment between colder and warmer environments based or humid environments or relative humid, like whatever. I I think the, the simple way to think about it would probably be cold versus warm. And, um, you know, that's going to mean that offense could be really bad in April moving forward. And the, the side note I wanted to throw in there was one of the minor leagues was experimenting with, I don't know if you guys saw this, but one of the minor leagues was experimenting with a different ball that had like a tacky surface like they use in Japan. Um, And I think they backed off that experiment like two weeks in. So not a great sign for that experiment, but Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I, um, I think this might just be life now, at least under these circumstances, which these specific circumstances could change. uh, (laughs) Yes. At any point. But yeah, yeah, I think we might just see these kind of extreme fluctuations between offense in April versus offense in June and and July and August. And presumably offense league wide is going to be even greater in July and August based on what we've seen. Yeah. And that's, that's what we were theorizing in April. So I guess frustrating. Kudos kudos to us. But yeah, no, if if that's, if they don't make any tweaks with the humidor and I I feel like they should, because like this can't be good for the product to have a different game in April versus June. Uh, But yeah, we, we just going to have to condition ourselves that April's going to suck and not to overreact. But the to it. problem is it's going to impact every player differently. And it's going to make like it, like let's put the, 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 the elephant in the room out there. Betting is a big part of of professional sports bottom line right now. And having a consistent, predictable, but not like not predictable in like the game to game outcomes, but just predictable in like the environment. That's the, the really physics important. of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, matters because that's going so i assuming the status quo that we've seen this season reigns moving forward we should expect more extreme variations from offensive environments in april may june etc i agree that they will probably try to find some way to fix this whether that's further tweaks to the ball or tweaking the humidor so that it's about relative humidity rather than absolute humidity. I think they're all stored in the same temperature and humidity range, um, regardless of the atmospheric conditions around them. So it, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to, to know all of this for sure, but it's annoying. It's annoying. Yes. Uh, it definitely is. And especially when, Look, a lot of people early in the season are freaking out about their, their team's offense or lack thereof and trying to figure out what to do with with hitters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happened to us. It happened to people listening, and I get it. Um, you know, maybe if this is the environment moving forward, uh, we just draft a bunch of hitters early on, and we roll out like Brad Keller and Madison Bumgarner in April because those guys were awesome. And I, it just seems like streaming pitching will be a lot easier in uh early April than uh, other months moving forward. But we've got like all off season to figure that out. What does it mean moving forward for this season? Well, in theory, your established struggling hitters could see some positive regression. And uh, I think it also means that you're going to need more offense overall to compete in your category Mm -hmm. leagues, your roto leagues. And I also think it means that we're going to see some pitchers regress as well. So maybe some fly ball pitchers or just pitchers that pitch to contact in general. Yeah, I think we could see some of those pitchers regress even more moving forward throughout the season. All I know is my teams are doing a lot better. If I I, <laughs> I, dra- just, I drafted for how the, how it's going now, not how it went in April. Th- my my issue with this is my issue with when we were talking about like what to expect in 2020 with like the short season, and there are going to be groups or types of players who are more or less impacted by one offensive environment for versus the other. And it might be possible to identify 
certain skill sets that will be more or less impacted, but it's going to be really, really hard because we're talking about, you know, it's not just one aspect of the game that's changing. It's several aspects that overlap with each other. And I just, I, I think trying to say this player and that player, like this player is going to be affected, but this player, like that's really difficult. No, I, look, I look, we don't I, I'm theorizing on which players could be affected, like, you know, pitchers who pitch to contact. But, yeah, but I, I really don't know. I mean, it, yeah, it's just that's my well, that, that just makes sense, because you would think if worse things are going to happen when there's balls in play, players who give up pitchers who give up more balls in play are going to be more affected by it because there are more opportunities for that to affect them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's a pretty basic hypothesis, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like which specific hitter will turn around, I can't tell you. I can tell you that there are hitters that are turning it around, and these four were the first four that stood out to me. Nelson Cruz in the month of June, 405 batting average, three homers, an OPS over 1,100. Kyle Schwarber, the beefcake, he's coming around. Remember what he did in June last year, too? I think he hit like 16 home runs. 318 batting average, five homers, four doubles, an 11.50 OPS for Schwarbs, uh, Brian Reynolds. We needed this because he he's he's been quite bad. 3.95 batting average in June. Three homers, one steal, an OPS over a thousand. And then Jose Abreu just added a double dong on Monday. And so far this month, 3.19 batting average, four homers, 10.25 OPS. These are all pretty established hitters, and I think it's a good sign that they are coming around. Yeah. Well, and to Chris's point, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Schwarber, and Jose Abreu, they're not the sort of hitters we would have pegged to have to to suffer yeah. uh, inordinately during that bad April. Ryan Reynolds? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. you could see that. Marcus Simeon, uh, who has also been coming around lately, totally makes sense, too, that he would struggle with that April environment. But, but we're not going to be able to... Like, it's bad for every hitter, and it, it's going to be uh, it's going to affect ones we don't see coming. If, if, well, if, and here's if the the especially hard thing, and this is what I wrote about with Joey Votto on in Thursday's Trade Valley's column is like, was his early season struggle just a cold streak? Was it the result of that tinkering that he did in the off season, that weird hockey puck bat, and and was it? the offensive environment, probably some combination of all of those things. Um, And the thing that makes this especially tough is like with Nelson Cruz or Joey Votto, both of them are are very old for baseball players. If they were going to fall off a cliff, it would have looked like what it did in April and May for both of them. They looked finished. Like they weren't doing anything well. And so that's exacerbated by the, the, negative offensive environment they found themselves in, but it's also sometimes guys just struggle. Sometimes guys just don't have a good month and there's not a reason for it. At least not a, a reason that we can point to and then explain from the outside. And so that's what makes this really hard. And the, the changing offensive environment makes it even harder. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of a Brayu, Schwarber, Cruz Reynolds, like those are four guys who, I don't want to speak for you two, but I pretty much never lost faith in them. Yeah. Like I never, I never made a point to move any of them down in my rankings. Um, not Schwarber and not Abreu for sure. I wasn't actively looking to sell Cruz and Reynolds, but Cruz obviously had the age sure. thing and, and Reynolds, the fact that he doesn't impact the, har- the ball as hard on average as the rest of that group. So I was a little more concerned about the two of them, but generally speaking, yeah, I'd say, I'd say it was a buy on all of them. And Reynolds is another guy. You know, his he was bad in 2020, which mm-hmm. is about the same sample size as what we have. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I still think as as much of a sample size as we do have, and it's not to say that you should just ignore everything you've seen, but you should have a a baseline. And that baseline should be hard to move. And especially so when I think we just have bad data right now. I think that's just what it comes down to is that this, the data that we have so far this season probably isn't going to tell us all that much about what's going to happen moving forward relative to even other two-month sample sizes. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And outside of those four hitters, I found a quartet of teammates. The Toronto Blue Jays, looking at OPS leaderboards for June, it's there was just a bunch of these guys that stood out. So Lourdes Gurriel, he had a three-hit game on Monday. He's batting 425, only one homer, but three doubles. OPS over 1,000 for the month. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, three for five. Power hasn't showed up yet, but he's hitting 370. OPS over 1,000 as well. He's hitting the ball very hard once again. Uh, Bo Bichette, Bichette's been great since the start of May, but he's been even better in June. Uh, two more hits on Monday, 320 batting average, three home runs. He's striking out less. He's walking more. The fly balls are back up. 944 OPS for him. And then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We're getting emails and tweets. What's going wrong with Vladimir Guerrero? He looks pretty good. Three for five. He hit his 15th home run of the season. Uh, he's hitting 288. He's got six home runs in June. OPS over 1,000 crushing the ball 96 mile per hour average exit velocity still too many ground balls his average launch angle is 2.1 so just imagine if he puts the ball in the air a little bit more while hitting it as well as he is all of a sudden he's not far off from last year's homer home run pace he's on like a 45 homer pace basically yeah yeah what is his home run to fly ball ratio right now 26.5 it was 26.4 percent before today so it's higher than last year now uh yeah, and that's what he's going to need to do if he's going to hit this many ground balls. He's going to have to yeah. maintain a, a very high home run to fly ball ratio. but And he's going to. Yeah, considering how much he impacts the ball. I also thought this was a crazy stat, which I saw on Twitter. Uh, both Vlad Jr. and his father, Hall of Famer Vladimir Guerrero, had a 364 on-base percentage and 87 home runs exactly through their first 403 career games. That's pretty that crazy. Wild and wacky stuff. That's <laughs> mm. pretty crazy. Almost as crazy as what Prince Fielder and his and his pops finishing with the same number of home runs, career home runs. Did they? Yeah. Wow. Prince Fielder and, and Cecil Fielder. Mm. Each had a fifty homer year. <laughs> it's fifty one for Cecil. Crazy, it's crazy stuff. Uh, but the point of this entire segment was to remind you that yes, offense is coming around. Better days are coming for your struggling hitters. Hopefully, uh, and these names are all. Um, part of that group that has already started coming around. A few waiver wire pitchers that stood out from Monday. Deeper leagues, I don't think that these are like must-add pitchers. I'm not running out to my waiver wire, but Justin Steele now has two seven-inning quality starts in a row. He went seven innings, one run, three strikeouts up against the Padres. And a new nickname, I'm going to work on this, for uh, Mitch Keller. The Godfather. Because just when you think you're out, he pulls you back in. Mitch (laughs) Keller has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in three straight starts on the back of that pitch mix change where he's using a sinker as one of his primary pitches, something he's really never done in the past. But yeah, he's looked much better over these last three starts. Chris, what do you think? You are the Mitch Keller guy. Uh, don't put that evil on me. <laughs> You're even wearing um, your, your, your Pirates yellow shirt, everything. This is a drive-by trucker shirt. Yeah, uh, you know, Pirates. Yeah, uh, I do something. like the Pirates, you know, historically. <laughs> um... I view it like I view Martin Perez. I can buy that there is a better version of Mitch Keller here throwing more sinkers. I don't buy that this version of Mitch Keller is going to be fantasy relevant. I just... That's fair. I I don't think there's enough swing and miss in his game. I don't think he has good enough command. I I think he can be... Like, I, I could see Mitch Keller being an average major league pitcher with this approach, but... I don't think he's going to be particularly useful for fantasy. He's got to keep those walks down. I mean, that's been one of the main issues for him. Uh, Scott, I mean, Justin Steele kind of does some interesting things, almost a strikeout per inning, 51% ground ball rate. But if we're talking about walks, I guess throw Justin Steele in that conversation because he just walks way too many. Uh, What do you think about these two, Steele and the godfather, Mitch Keller? Well, and Steele, I mean, yeah, I know his overall strikeout rate is is fine, but Last two starts, really good. Combined four strikeouts in 14 innings. So it's hard to get excited about that. And as for Keller, I would say if you're a Pirates pitcher right now, you got to be, you got to be a big strikeout pitcher probably to matter if you're on the Pirates because you know hey, you're not Brian Hayes the leads Major League Baseball in outs above average or whatever the baseball savant stat is. So show some respect. Even so, <laughs> the bad team. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 
Yeah, Keller's not going to get any help help from a supporting cast there, and I don't think he's good enough on his own to to be more than a streamable type. I agree with Chris. All right, well, what about these two pitchers as potential drops? Ian Anderson just, he always reminds us why it's so hard to trust him. He gives up two runs over four innings pitched, but Mm. six more hits, four more walks. The whip is just unbearable for Ian Anderson, and he's still 94% rostered. His ERA is up to 4.66. And then Merrill Kelly, it's like, I think the experiment is over for Merrill Kelly. Just wanted your guys' confirmation. Scott, what do you think about dropping Ian Anderson and or Merrill Kelly? Merrill Kelly's a streamable. We've been there for a while now with him. I don't have any problem with people picking him up for the two-start week, but that's all you're doing it for. Mm -hmm. And then you let him go after this week. Ian Anderson's frustrating because I feel like he should be better than he is. It's it's. His swinging strike rate has been virtually identical each of his three seasons in the majors, and yet the strikeout rate has fallen precipitously each year. And I don't know what's going on with that. You know, obviously walking fewer guys would help. Hopefully, in sometime in the next year or two, he takes a Kyle Wright-type leap because I think, you know, he's been better up to this point than Wright was to begin his career. But, yeah, it's um, for this year... I think he's I think he's over rostered and and is probably you know, I, I like him more than than like Kelly and Keller, but he's closer to that range of starting pitchers than than probably other guys who are ninety four percent rostered. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Some other pitching leftovers, aces being aces, Aaron Nola, another strong start, seven innings, two runs, six strikeouts to zero walks. Sandy Alcantara makes it seven straight starts of seven-plus innings pitch. Just bonkers. Seven and two-thirds innings for him, uh, two runs, five strikeouts to three walks. I thought they left him in there too long. I know he's a workhorse, but 98 pitches going into the eighth inning, he walked the first two batters. It just, I felt like they left Watching him in that long. game, I think he might have fought Don Mattingly if he tried to take him out before that. <laughs> well, I mean, he, look, he, ends up, he ends up leaving the game and they show him in the dugout and he's like screaming at himself for not being able to get out of that inning. I know, but it's if, all right, if you're going to leave him in that long, I just let him face Didi Gregorius, right? It's like, why are you, uh, yeah, why are you mean, taking I, him out for a lefty to face Didi Gregorius, who yeah. then gives up? the the game tying run it, it, it was annoying uh and alec manoa makes it 11 for 12 on quality starts it's just more of the same <laughs> six shutout innings one hit one walk seven strikeouts yeah. uh the era is down to 1.67 for manoa and i have a theory I, I think he's just pitching to contact more because his quality of contact against is so poor like in a good way he, he just does not give up a lot of hard contact so yeah. If that allows him to be more efficient, why not pitch that way? That's just yeah. how I feel about Manoa. He's got a 325 career expected well bond contact allowed. League average is 370. That is exemplary. Um, I was skeptical about him coming into the season, but I was pretty quiet about it. I didn't really like it. Didn't really, I didn't bring it up a lot. I didn't really reflect it in the rankings. Like he was still a top 30 starting pitcher for me, which was too low, clearly. Um, but I'm, I wish I had actually drafted him. Some hitting leftovers worth mentioning. Paul Goldschmidt went three for four with his 13th home run. He is batting 335, which <laughs> just blew my mind when I saw that number. He is amazing. Dylan Carlson went two for four with his third home run. Tyler O'Neill in seven games since returning from the IL, 10 hits, one homer, two steals, a 30% strikeout rate. It's pretty normal for him, but... Good to see he's hitting the ball again. Marcus Simeon went three for five with his 11 stolen base and five more home runs for the Atlanta Braves, who are red hot right now. Marcelo Zuna hit his 11th. Dansby Swanson hit his eighth. Travis Darno hit his seventh homer. Uh, Adam Duvall hit his seventh, and he has five home runs over his last eight games. And Michael Harris got in on the fun. He hit his first career home run. 49% rostered is Harris. 36% is Adam Duvall. Uh, I would take both over Lane Thomas. I'll throw that out there, and I, I do like both players, uh, especially Duvall. I mean, when he gets hot, he could just carry your team, so keep that in mind. Some bullpen updates for the Phillies. Corey Knable was unavailable. Sir Anthony Dominguez pitched in the ninth inning. It was a clean inning for him, and uh, he wound up with the win in that game. For the Cardinals, Giovanni Gallegos entered in the seventh inning, 
with the game tied. The Cardinals then took the lead, and Ryan Helsley came in in the ninth inning. He got his fifth save. Someone tweeted at us, Scott, and they said, this is it. Ryan Helsley is the closer. Top 10 closer rest of season. Yeah, I was checking to see uh, when's the last time Gallegos got a, a save because there have been instances over the past couple weeks where Gallegos followed Helsley in the game. But if we're just if we're talking strictly saves, Helsley has four since Gallegos got his last one. So maybe that's maybe I, that's the clearest indication yet. I don't think Gallegos has pitched in a save situation. They haven't. Yeah, they haven't since had since May twentieth. They haven't had many. I should say. Yeah. Yeah, because he has one blown save, but I believe he was in a tie game in that situation. Yeah, he was. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think that term probably has been. It would have been before the ninth, right? Uh, you can't blow a save in a tie. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was looking at the wrong game. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He got a win, but he pitched the ninth inning, and yeah. Yep. Okay. I, uh, I think the days of saves might be gone for Giovanni Gallegos, unfortunately. For the Rangers, Matt Moore picked up his first save. Joe Barlow worked Saturday and Sunday. The Padres, Taylor Rogers struck out two for his 19th save. And the Twins, they just wrapped up a one-run victory where Yoan Duran pitched in the eighth. And Emilio Pagan picked up his ninth save. To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Tuesday. JT Brubaker at the Cardinals. Matthew Liberator versus the Pirates, Zach Eflin versus the Marlins, Trevor Rogers at the Phillies, and Yusei Kikuchi versus the Orioles. Eflin. Yep. For sure. I yep. I still have faith in Trevor Rogers figuring it out at some point. Not sure I'd want to start him. I agree. Wednesday, Kyle Gibson versus the Marlins, Alex Fayeto versus the White Sox, Spencer Strider at the Nationals, Rich Hill versus the A's. Andre Palante versus the Pirates and Rowanzi Contreras at the Cardinals. Definitely Strider. Yeah, I think he's that's, a clear standout here. That yeah. should that's like basically a must Free spot start. on the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gibson against the Marlins is okay. Fido against the White Sox is okay. But Strider is the priority here for sure. Mm-hmm. Strider is still 67% rostered on CBS. So that's dumb. Could be available in your leagues. Uh, only does have relief pitcher eligibility for now, but yeah, we must be. You know, yeah, two among, more two more starts. He'll get starting pitcher eligibility. Among pitchers with thirty innings, he has the highest K per nine, and I believe the fourth highest swinging strike rate. But the highest K per nine. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome stuff. All right, team name Tuesday. We'll wrap up with some of these. Don't have too many here. Uh, from Michael, team name Tuesday for South Park fans. You're a towel. You're a towel. <laughs> from Saves Tuesday on Twitter for my wrestling fans out there. Young Lux Super Kirk Party. <laughs> uh, sure. it's, yeah. I'll tell you guys later. Uh, from Jim, Soto shot first. So the problem with this one, I like the idea, but it's typically phrased as Han shot first. Mm. That's my only, that's my, my nerdy critique. Yeah, so why not Juan uh, shot first? One shot first. Yeah, that works. <laughs> it works for me. Uh, this Juan one's... Soto, Han Solo. Juan we got Soto, Juan Soto and Bo Bichette in the same room together. Somebody's leaving in that. What's Carbonite? that called? Carbonite, yeah. <laughs> I got to step up to Star Wars game because I am way behind right now. This one's from Brad. Hmm. Should I do this? Uh, yeah, sure. Mm. Should I do it, Chris? I thought about it. Uh, I don't know. I'll let you decide. Let's what do you move think? Move on to Mark. All right, let's go on to Mark. <laughs> These are big, beefy baseball boy additions. Voight for Pedro. Yep. Guerrero, row your boat. I like it. I. Do you guys know how to pronounce this? It would be Tale Miserable. That sounds right. I think that that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, what Chris said. I'm bringing Vogel back. I like it. <laughs> and I don't know how this song goes. Cheeseburger in Paradise? Uh, no. Come on. Jake Burger in Paradise. Jake in Paradise. No, no, that's, that's an Eddie Money song. This is, I think this is a different song. 
No, the the one I'm <laughs> I sang it's Cheeseburger in Paradise is a is a Jimmy Buffett song. All right. You're and right about that. Yeah. You're right about that. Uh, but I was singing it to the tune of Two Tickets in Paradise by Eddie Money, so I think maybe I threw you off. But well, it's it's somewhat similar, like the same number of letter or yeah. syllables, I guess. I kind of like but that more. His name's Burger, so it's obviously it's obviously the Jimmy Buffett song. No, no, I understand. Yeah, I just don't know how okay. that song goes. So I'm oh. gonna sing well. Jake Burger in Paradise. Okay, and the the Jimmy Buffett one is. Jake Burger in Paradise. So it's very, it's similar. I never right. noticed how similar those are. Maybe there's some kind of crossover we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Shout out Eddie Money. The by ultimate, the, way. the ultimate crossover event: Eddie Money and, and <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. All right, that seems like a great place to wrap up for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.